everyone. Welcome to another episode of Who Would Have Thoughts, the podcast. I'm your host, Ngazia Kelido. This episode's guest is Simone Boyce, the host of NBC's streaming network. Simone is somebody I actually came across a few years ago when I reached out to her for some career advice and she gave me some super helpful and super inspirational advice that I recently put into practice. So it was really cool to get to chat with her and learn a little bit more about her journey in this industry. Now, Simone started her career on the entertainment side of things. She's talked to some of the biggest names in entertainment, but as of late, she's transitioned more into the news side in her new role with NBC News and MSNBC. Now, her career has also spanned from coast to coast. She previously worked for KTLA in Los Angeles and Fox 5 in New York. Now that she's back in the Big Apple, she's telling some stories that are really cool on the cultural side of things. And she even has an Emmy nomination under her belt. She's somebody who has a really interesting perspective and she comes across as incredibly authentic, which is one of the reasons why I really admire her work. And this is also the first time that I got to tape this podcast in person with my guests and we got to do it from a really cool place. That's right. This podcast was taped at 30 Rock in New York City. So I feel pretty cool for getting to do that. I got a tour too, thanks to Simone. But anyway, yeah, this was a great chat and I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. So without further ado, here's Simone Boyce. Thank you for being on the podcast. I'm really excited about this. So I guess for people that aren't familiar with you, tell them a little bit about, you know, how you got into this industry and your story. So... I always grew up with a knack for speaking and performing. My mom was an actor, so I think that's very early on how I developed an interest in broadcasting. But then I studied broadcast journalism at the University of Florida, and that's where I really got this amazing hands-on experience working at my school station there and learning editing, producing, writing, all the different sides of the industry. And that's when I really realized that I wanted to pursue this thing full-time. So you're a college senior. You're graduating. Yeah. There's always the thing where it's like, go to a small market, do that. For you, did you ever feel like you kind of wanted to buck the trend or what was sort of your Totally. I was the rebel in my class. Everyone else was doing it by the book and sending out their resume tapes to news directors, which I did. Never heard back from any of them. But I think I always knew that I was going to go a different path. And I think my teachers knew that as well, much to their chagrin. But in college, I started to foster this interest and love for entertainment reporting and the arts. And that felt natural for me because my mom's background. And so in college, I was one of the reporters there, one of the students there who really developed an entertainment news unit almost at UF's broadcast journalism school. And I was interviewing, my first interviews ever were Common and Kid Cudi. They came to do a concert at school at at UF. And I reached out to their reps or whoever it was to try and finagle this interview. And I barely eked in there and I got this interview and I was like, okay, I think I could, you know, maybe I could do this. If I was able to get this this interview, maybe I could actually do this for a living. So I think my professors knew that I wanted to pursue entertainment news. And I was born in LA and I had just done an internship in LA. So I just realized that, you know, if I'm going to 
do entertainment news, I'm going to just pour everything into it. And I'm just going to go straight to the source and hope and pray that it works. So that's what I did. And thank, thank the Lord it worked out. So that next step is you moving back to LA after school. Yeah. So I moved to LA the day after school. I'm, I, my story is a little bit confusing. I was born in LA, grew up in Miami and Miami is so amazing. I just knew if I stayed at home in Miami, I probably would get kind of stuck there. So I just forced myself to move to LA and had a bunch of random survival jobs in Gazi and eventually found my way to an internship at KTLA. And I worked there in the entertainment department as an intern on the morning show. And that's where I really started to cut my teeth on what this gig looked like on a day-to-day basis. So what was your day-to-day like as an intern there? I, (laughs) they're not going to want me to say this, but it was a lot of grabbing coffee. And you know what? I know that that can sound kind of patronizing or insulting maybe to today's generation, the idea of having to get coffee for people, but it's also just a part of being an intern. And I feel like that's sometimes that this generation sometimes forgets that, that those moments where you're, I was waking up at 4am pulling up to McDonald's and bringing back, you know, a towering, uh, this, this towering crate of coffee for my bosses at KTLA. And it, it sounds silly and trivial, but it builds character, you know, it's just a part of it. So I, I, you know, looking back on that experience is a great experience. I learned a ton working under the entertainment anchor there, Sam Rubin, and he's always been super supportive of me and in my career. So outside of getting coffee, (laughs) I actually did do other things. So I learned how to edit entertainment packages. I did my first red carpet there. I did some of my first junkets there. So that's where I really started to get some of that experience doing celebrity interviews. So you're what, 23 at the time Mm -hmm. and you're doing like red carpet interviews. Mm -hmm. What are the nerves like for someone in that situation? Off the charts, off the charts. And I'd be lying if I said that I don't still get nervous if I were to do red carpets. I really don't do red carpets anymore, but you know, sometimes you have those really big interviews and you have what's so crazy about red carpets and why I'm really not a fan of them is you just have three minutes maybe to try and get what you need to turn a package. If you're working in local news, you know, we have to turn packages on a deadline every night and it is so stressful and you're, you're behind this railing. You're kind of caged in there like a zoo animal and you can only move so far and you're trying to establish this, this rapport with the actor in such a short amount of time. So needless to say at 23 years old, my nerves were off off the charts. <laughs> and I, I shudder to think what those tapes look like now. I just, oh gosh, it's so embarrassing to think the questions I would have asked. Oh my gosh, I'm cringing. I'm cringing right now. Do you remember your first interview, like from, I guess the red carpet or like sort of like a big junket? Yeah. Yeah. It was Hellcats. It was this show on, on the CW that barely lasted a season or if, if that, I'm not sure. And I'm pretty sure my hand must have been just like shaking when I was asking the questions, but I was just asking super basic stuff like, 
what was it like to work with so-and-so and how did you find this project? And so thankfully over the years, I found a way to develop a more clever line of questioning and research definitely helps with that. But when I was first starting out, it was pretty rough. Mm-hmm. I'm curious though, cause there's mm-hmm. people that have talked about like that scene and saying, oh, I'm at like the Grammys in a gown, but like we are using like porta potties as a bathroom. Oh, yes. Reporters. Like 100%. The idea is like this glamour versus like the actual reality when you're working no. these big events. Yeah, it's brutal. It's brutal. You talk to. I could give you so many other entertainment reporters to talk to. They will all tell you the same thing. Doing the Met Gala, while it's really fun to do, to see the people there and what they're wearing and to see what Rihanna and Beyonce are wearing, it is an all-day affair. It's a marathon. You're standing there for probably five or six hours, and you can't go to the bathroom. You you can't get out. You're, you're stuck. So yeah, you bring your snacks, you bring your water and you just, you're yelling at people trying to get their attention. It's nuts. It's crazy. It's totally not glamorous at all. It's very glamorous when you're on the other side of it. If you're an actor who's walking the red carpet and you've got this cool project to show off, but if you're a reporter, it's, it can be rough. Man. (laughs) That is that like, you know, I'm envious, but then I hear that. I'm like, okay, (laughs) I'll just watch it home. (laughs) Look, I mean, I know there are so many people who are listening and might be envious. And so I don't want to sound like I'm not grateful for those experiences because again, it's, it's all character building and it all in one way or another led me to where I am right now. Mm -hmm. Do you think, um, Working for like a local TV station, maybe that's rooted in news Mm -hmm. on the entertainment side, maybe gave you a different outlook or like foundation for covering um, entertainment reporting than somebody that maybe started off at, I don't know, like an E or, or an online outlet that like only specializes in entertainment coverage. Yeah. I actually started out on the digital side. So I had that internship at KTLA. And then from there, I worked on the digital side and entertainment in LA and that is a very myopic view, one dimensional view of entertainment. And what was nice about working for a station, a local news station, like when I worked at Fox five here in New York for three years, I was able to, I was in a newsroom with other reporters who were covering other topics. So it just gives you a bit more depth and a bit more perspective. And especially right now, we're seeing so many ways in which politics and culture and politics and pop culture overlap. So I'm grateful for that experience that I had working at Fox because it really opened my eyes and showed me, okay, it was really fun covering entertainment for a few years, but that's not where my true passion lies. And from there, I took that leap to go find my true passion, which is in news. Mm -hmm. So you did the internship and then from there, you went to Fox 5? No, several. We're skipping several steps. Okay, let's go back a couple yeah, steps. Yes, <laughs> let's go back a couple steps. I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead. So, internship. Okay, internship at KTLA. Then I worked for Clever, which is a channel, a YouTube channel that's based in LA. And then, oh my gosh, I'm like racking my brain. It's been so long. I worked for GameStop covering video games. Yeah, and did a lot of 
Comic-Con coverage. That's something that's near and dear to my heart. I'm a big geek and I don't have the time to play video games anymore, unfortunately, but that was a really fun season in my life and I loved that job. And then, uh, then I got a job at Epics and Epics is a cable movie channel. And so that's when I started to make a little bit more money and not that much, not, not crazy money, but it was just a, a job that was easier to, to sustain. And I was there for, uh, a year, maybe over a year. So that's kind of like a lot of different, a lot of different topics you're covering, like covering, you know, for GameStop. I yeah. mean, what's like, I, I try to think of like another woman, like Olivia Munn, right? She kind of had a background like yeah. that a little bit, right? Yeah. Yeah. She totally did. And I think that, I think that it helped me, it helped me break into the industry because I found a niche and I was able to develop a, a modest following. A modest is the key word around the content that I was covering. I also did these YouTube videos, these Game of Thrones recaps that were a kind of got, got a good response online as the show was coming out. And so that helped me tap into that kind of fanboy, fangirl base online, that audience online. And yeah, it worked out well for me. I think that sometimes when you're just starting out, trying to find out what is your niche, what is your area of expertise that's authentic to you, finding that and identifying that and then really tapping into that can be super helpful in, in getting your footing. So you sort of knew even through, throughout college, like what you wanted to do. And then you were doing these different jobs. Um, I guess as you were doing that, did you start to notice like, okay, YouTube or digital, like that's going to be a wave. Maybe like you saw it a lot like quicker than other people or executives or saw it before you. I, I did in a sense, I'm trying to think. Well, so I worked for, after the internship at KTLA, I started to get experience through digital outlets. And that was really just networking and meeting other journalists, digital journalists at junkets and red carpets and that sort of thing. And so it, I, I don't know that I can take credit for being that smart and strategic that early on. It might've just been a bird in the bird in the hand thing. You know, it was what was in front of me and I took advantage of it. But I think I did start to realize once I started working in that environment that, oh, this can be my small market experience that my teachers were telling me that I needed to get by just getting this footage and constantly updating my reel, I might be able to cobble something together that's akin to what one of my, you know, fellow classmates might be doing in another market. So were you talking with classmates that were in the small markets at the same time? And No, I wasn't actually because I just my world was so different from theirs. They were doing hard news in smaller markets and I was over in LA, you know, covering entertainment for a digital outlet. At that time, I know it sounds kind of crazy, but at that time, those were those were just two worlds that were so far apart. Now it doesn't seem that that crazy because media is the silos in media are disappearing right now faster than ever, but back then we probably wouldn't have had much in common to talk about, you know, because our experiences were so different. So you said 
when you got to Epics, that was the first time you were kind of like making real money. That was yeah, survival. Yeah, yeah. What was that struggle like? Just in LA, and it's expensive there. And maybe with these entertainment places, they're one-off kind of gigs. What kind of what was your journey like? For there, trying to, I guess, make a salary in the industry. Oh my gosh. It's, it's just, there's no easy way to put it. It doesn't exist when you're starting out. And that's, that's true for local news reporters too, who are starting out in smaller markets. It just doesn't exist. You got to just try and you got to, I had survival jobs on the side. I was hosting, doing, you know, working at restaurants or whatever it was that I needed to do. I just... I was willing to take other jobs that weren't as glamorous or, you know, do these survival jobs so that I could still focus on what my true goal was, which was to work in broadcasting. Did you ever have like a breaking point though moment where you're like, I think everybody has is we're like, why am I doing this? <laughs> yes. Yeah, totally. Totally have those, those moments. But at the same time, you get to a point where you're like, I've put so much into this that I can't turn back. And outside of getting a small paycheck from these outlets. I was also shooting my own videos at home. I was shooting my own YouTube videos. I had a green screen at my house. I was cutting my own reels. I was, it was nonstop. Like I was doing anything and everything that I could. So once you put that much into it, you're like, I'm not going to give up now. I can't turn back now. What else am I going to do with my life? You know, (laughs) I mean, that makes it sound like I don't love what I do. I absolutely love what I do, but it also comes from just patience and focus and drive, you know, and just saying, I'm going to, I'm going to put in the time. Mm -hmm. So at this time, your, your mom, you said she was, has an entertainment background. Mm -hmm. What advice was she giving you as somebody that's been in this world? She understood it. And that's, I think a luxury that maybe a lot of kids don't have, but because my mom came from the arts and she had an MFA in acting, so she really did the same thing. You know, she poured a lot into her career in in acting in the arts, so she was totally supportive, and I'm so blessed. I have the best parents. My dad, too, was, even though he's a CPA, business, financial mind, he was so supportive, never second-guessed me once or what I was doing. They've, They've always been behind it. That's helpful to like have yeah. parents understand that yeah, yeah it's going to take a couple years. It's not going to come right away. That's the thing. It doesn't doesn't necess- this career doesn't exactly deliver on the same timelines that other careers do. So it's really it's a it's a long game for sure. So you have though that experience under your belt. You're doing things on your own too. Like you said, you were shooting YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. You you were hustling on the side doing that. Yeah. How did the um, Fox Five opportunity come up for you to come to New York? Yeah. So I was working at Epics and it's almost easier for me to remember these different chapters by what my reel looked like. So (laughs) I had, just because I cut so many of them and I do think that's a really important aspect of this is always updating your footage and always have it like every three months you should have a new reel. So at, I was working at Epics. I had some stuff from Epics on my reel. I probably had some GameStop stuff on my reel and I got an agent I had an agent before her, but he was not doing jack for me. He was just lazy and I was just sitting on his roster. And so I was like, you know what? This is not worth my time because I was giving him jobs to negotiate 
instead of him acquiring them for me. It was very backwards. So luckily I met the agent that I'm still with now. She's incredible. And she's the one who put me in touch with the news director at Fox 5. And that's how I got the job. I think, I think, you know, from what he told me about what he saw in me, it was that I presented something different. And I want to say this in the most you know humble way possible, but that I was able to bring something different to the table, probably from having such a wide variety of topics and experiences and, and networks on my reel, you know, from covering video games to pop culture, to movies and red carpets, that sort of thing. So you moved to New York. You're what age at that time? 26. Okay, so you're 26. So you've been working a couple of years in the industry. Mm-hmm. So now you're different coast, like the news scene, the media scene is completely different. Were there any adjustments at first getting acclimated to like the New York media scene? Totally, totally. So I was married and so it was a it was a big move for us. We were not expecting to I'm still married by the way. Still very in love. We were not expecting to move to New York at the time though. We were super happy in California, but we just accepted this blessing and we're like we're going to go and take this adventure and came to New York and it, I hadn't really I had worked in newsrooms but not in the in the way that let's just say being thrown into the New York media market, it's definitely, it's an adjustment, you know? And I learned a ton at that job. And I had a boss who was super gracious and gave me all these opportunities. And he was basically like, as long as you're willing to put in the work, you can do whatever you want here. You can have your own franchise and you can have your own lifestyle show on the weekends as long as you're willing to do it. And that was, that was a lot of work, but it, it helped me grow my producing skills and helped me see the bigger picture. So that was all a part of the learning experience, just learning how to turn packages on a deadline every single day and do it all on your own without a producer, without anyone else. But I'm super grateful for that experience because it, it helped me, helped me be the most well-rounded on-air person that I can be. Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of times, even like some entertainment reporters or anchors or hosts that I've talk to the idea of like going to a newsroom and doing it they're very like against so that's why it's, yeah. I actually discovered you through that I saw some of your clips online I was yeah. like oh this is really cool like thank you I didn't know you could do that at a local news station because I was working in local tv and like that opportunity at my station at least wasn't there and I was like this is really cool like this girl has her own series and like these are really interesting stories that you wouldn't see like on traditional local tv oh thank you so much for saying that I really do have to give credit to my boss he he just was he I think he was passionate about entertainment and pop culture. And so that really helps when you have someone who's interested in the same things that you are. And so it is definitely an exception, the the kind of work that I was able to do at Fox five, because right now, I mean, budgets and local news are so, so tight and so thin that to be able to run like that on such a long leash is, is pretty rare. So I did, I did try and get the most out of it that I possibly could. And I tried to really find stories that were unique and, and find stories that you wouldn't see on E! News or Access Hollywood and, and just try and carve out my own niche. 
I'm glad to hear that you responded to it. That's so cool. And you ended up getting an Emmy nom, right? From, I did. your work. Yeah. So, so tell me, what was a story that you did or a piece that you worked on that you're maybe the most proud of from, from Fox 5? So from that, that chapter, there were a couple. One was looking at the history of the Underground Railroad in New York City. And I always tried to use arts, entertainment, pop culture as a springboard or a launch pad to look at deeper issues in society, to add more context. Because I think that's what the arts, that's, you know, how the arts can really help us and help heal us is by adding context and helping us work through our feelings. So the show Underground was on at the time. And I used that as my peg, my news peg, my jumping off point to look at the history of the Underground Railroad in New York City. And it was really interesting. It just led me on this fascinating journey to discover that the Underground Railroad actually did run right through Brooklyn and that there was a a lot of history pertaining to slavery at the bottom, at the lower tip of Manhattan. And so really just peeling back those layers was really rewarding on a personal level to, to understand the context of, of new, of New York and its beginnings. And, and yeah, it's just crazy that there's this church in Brooklyn that has a basement and it is, supposedly, according to several historians, it was a stop on the Underground Railroad. And I actually went down in that basement and filmed there. And it was it was harrowing just to, to be in that space, you know? So that was a true highlight for me. Also went up to Harriet Tubman's home in upstate New York and interviewed one of Frederick Douglass's descendants. Um, so that was, that was a really cool experience. And then another piece that I did at Fox 5 also tried to use a um, movie, uh, a piece, a pop culture, you know, something in pop culture as a news peg. And so for this one, it was the film Loving. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember when that came out. Yeah. And that's one that has a lot of personal resonance for me because I am, my mom is Nigerian, Sierra Leonean. My dad is French, German, and Scottish from the UK. So to grow up in a home where I saw this loving interracial marriage, this movie really spoke to me. And so I wanted to do a piece that looked at the experience of people of mixed heritage in America. So used that movie to do that. And it was really interesting just learning about the different nuances and how people identify when they are the, the son or daughter of one Asian American parent and one white Caucasian parent and how that differs from someone like me who is the daughter of a black mom and a white dad. So it was really interesting. Spoke to a sociologist about that and then also interviewed the actress Ruth Nega, who was part of the film Loving. So when you do stories like that that are a little mm -hmm. bit more personal, mm -hmm. what do you leave with? Because sometimes like the closer ones, you're like, wow, like I didn't mean to go that deep with myself. But totally. Yeah. yeah. I think with the with the loving story, I interviewed the sociologist and it actually it kind of changed the way that I approach my identity. 
she just really helped me understand. So a, a question that I get asked a lot is, you know, what are you? I think a lot of mixed race people can identify with that. Like people will just ask you, what are you? And they mean, what is your ethnicity? But it's kind of a weird uh, way of asking that to someone yeah. that you don't know. It's kind of invasive. And so I, I talked to her about that and I was like, how do people, what is the best way for people to answer that question? And her, the way that she suggested we talk about that subject was just really eye-opening for me. And she just said, get more specific about your ethnicity. You know, you can say that your mom is Nigerian and Sierra Leonean and your dad is French and German because that is perhaps easier for people to grasp if you want to, I'm like kind of going on a, uh, I'm trying to rein it in here. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an abstract topic, so it's kind of hard to understand. But basically, if you want to articulate that you identify as a combination of these two ethnicities, which is, that's how I feel. I, I identify as someone who is biracial, even though I don't really love that label, but I identify as someone who is the product of these two experiences. And those two experiences come from my parents and, and, you know, it's filtered down through, through the experiences that they've lived as a member of their respective races. Right. And so how do you go about articulating that? Well, sometimes it's easier to just say, I am these ethnicities rather than I'm a part of these categories. Mm -hmm. getting, a, getting away from the categories and the labels is something that I'm really passionate about. And so she helped me see that. Someone that comes from that, it's like, I always felt like that too. Like my mom is mixed race. My dad's Nigerian. And it was, yeah. but my mom like passes as white. And I say that in air quotes. Mm -hmm. So it was always kind of like, what do you consider yourself? Like, yes. Yeah. And it was always something where it's like very confusing and it's like, what group do I belong to? So I actually yeah. kind of like that explanation where it's just sort of like, like their mixed experiences and that's what created me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what's really cool, like Megan Markle within the past couple of years, I think really gave a voice to mixed race people and, and by her coming out and being proud of her biracial heritage, it encouraged me to do the same. And the reality is my, my parents, my whole life encouraged me to be proud of both sides. It's just when you get into society, they tend to have a more narrow view and it's harder for people to see the gray area, the ambiguity of racial identity. And but now at this point, you know, I'm a full grown woman. Like, I don't really care what people think anymore. I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud of who my parents are and who they raised me to be. So that's what I'm sticking to. So going off of that, yeah, there's like this sense of authenticity about you and you are like really open about it on social media in a way that's like, actually, it's use the word again, authentic. Um, when did you start feeling super comfortable being able to share yourself in your work and with other people and like, you know, coming from that background of local news? Like I know that post you like you had a couple weeks ago where it yeah. was like, here's my old headshots, here's me now, like mm -hmm. with curly hair, here's me with like my, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. my professional headshots. Mm -hmm. Like being comfortable to fully be yourself now. When did you start mm -hmm. to notice? You know, it's kind of a product of being hearing that one version of me wasn't good enough. And so, you know, when I worked at KTLA, I was told 
I was encouraged to wear my hair straight. And I just didn't feel like, number one, I felt like that was wrong. I I think that that is an old fashioned way of looking at our news talent. And I think that, I mean, even in LA, the audience, the the demographic that, that I'm reporting the, this information to is far more diverse than we would make it out to be if we say that our reporters all have to have straight hair. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. LA is a an incredibly diverse urban city that has people of Middle Eastern descent, of Jewish descent, of Hispanic descent, African American descent. So I I really do believe that your reporting staff should reflect that. And so when they when I was encouraged to wear my hair straight, I didn't do it. I didn't listen. And I know that some people, there are a lot of female reporters out there who don't have that luxury, but I was in a place in my life where I was like, you know what, it's just not worth it to me to try and conform to this beauty standard because I know that the words that are coming out of my mouth and the actual work that I'm doing should be way more important than what I look like. Even though I know this is an image-based industry, I still think that the work should be more important. And so I just did what was authentic to me, which was wearing my hair curly. And I think there's a lot of freedom in that, you know? I think there's a lot of freedom in embracing who you are. And I think that it it was that experience hearing those words from the producers and the the managers at that station. It almost it almost made me even more proud of, of who I am, you know, and, it, and made me even more grounded in my identity. So I think now being on the other side of that, and I don't, I'm, I don't hold any hard feelings about that experience at all because I, I ended up exactly where I want to be, you know, professionally, I, I love my job here at NBC. So I, I think I'm at a place where I'm comfortable talking about that and I, in the hopes that it encourages other women to do the same. Mm-hmm. And it's such a crazy thing like that. This is still a conversation right? in like the industry of something so simple as how a woman wears her hair, like, and even a hairstyle. Like I had a job where they told me to cut my hair and I felt like I had no power and I did it. And then they still didn't like me anyway. So it was like, I should have just, like you said, like just be yourself. And I just think it's so crazy. The lengths that they make women go to sometimes yeah. in front facing industries Yeah. versus a man could wear like that story. The guy wore the same suit for a couple weeks and right. no one noticed. Right. <laughs> Going from there. Yeah. Your transition a little bit more to from entertainment to news. I know that the first question I asked you, you kind of hinted at that yes. where you were like, you know, I was wanting to cover a little bit something different. What sort of sparked that? And when were you sort of like, okay, it's time for me to make that change? Yeah. So I think the change has honestly been coming for about three years, but I really started to actually work on making that change and making that a reality probably about two years ago. So as I was, as I was, when I was at Fox five, 
I covered the election, uh, the 2016 election, and I just started to realize how politically divided our country was. And I just felt like, you know what, that's where my heart lies in, in using whatever, whatever gifts I might have as a storyteller to try and bring more balance and maybe even a little healing to the conversations that we're having right now around politics, around racial identity. So I was like, I got to make a change. I got to move over here because that's where my heart is. So while I was at Fox 5, I was covering stories like the one about being, you know, a, a part of mixed race heritage and the story about the Underground Railroad. So I was I was trying to cover more substantial topics outside of entertainment and pop culture. And then I left Fox 5. I just I I had a great opportunity there. They invited me to come back, but I just knew that I had to get out of my entertainment reporter position if I wanted to actually pursue news and harder topics. So I left and I had a couple of opportunities lined up, but I wasn't sure exactly where I was going to go at that point. And that's when I got a job at KTLA, went back to, you know, the station that I started out at as an intern and I started working there as a general assignment reporter. So I knew that that was something that I needed to do in order to get the hard news experience on my resume and worked there, covered crime, politics, wildfires, everything that falls under that general assignment reporter umbrella. And from there, I also worked with Mike, which is a kind of a media startup for a younger generation. They're an online publication. Then I also did some work on the Young Turks as well. And between those experiences, that's how I was able to put together a reel that was representative of the new direction, this rebrand that I was undergoing. And that's how I got the job here at NBC. So during that time, I think, is when I emailed you Mm -hmm, and you mm -hmm. gave me great advice just about taking... You said something that really stuck with me is you have to take a risk to have success. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I fully believe that that was like one of the most important pieces of advice I've gotten. Oh, good. You took that risk and now we are here at 30 Rock taping this podcast. Yes! How crazy is that? It's so wild. Well, first of all, let me just tell you that I'm... Even though I barely know you, I'm so proud of you for actually taking the advice and taking a risk and creating this podcast. Thank you. It's the content is really strong. It sounds great and you've created something from nothing, you know? And that's what this is all about. That's how that's how you really get the life that you want, you know, and that's what this is at the end of the day. That's what we all want. We all want to be happy. We all want to have financial security and you're out here doing it because you took the risk to make something. So congratulations to you for doing that. But yeah, I mean, that's the thing about risks, right? At, at the time, it's it's scary and it's, it's, yeah, terrifying even. It's intimidating. But I think... And I, and there were times when I was like, man, I really hope this you know works out. I hope I made the right decision. But in my heart of hearts, I knew that I made the right choice. I knew that that I would be much more fulfilled and I would be much happier talking about issues of that had more substance. And yeah, so the risk worked out. I 
am working for the network that I have always dreamed of working for. I like so many people in my generation. I grew up watching Katie Couric on the Today Show and I was just completely infatuated by her and everyone here, so many of the journalists here. And completely obsessed with this building. I came on a tour of 30 Rock with my dad when I was 14, and I was just in love. I was just completely enamored by this place. And so to be here and look around and seeing all these peacocks, I'm still pinching myself. It's it's so cool. And to be a part of something new here, to be a part of a, a startup within the company, that's really exciting. Like that's just to be able to get in the door was, was a huge dream come true. But then to be able to be a part of this streaming network and be one of the hosts of this streaming network, that's something that I couldn't even fathom. Mm-hmm. And they've been doing such a great job. I mean, everybody watches the Snapchat show. Like, I yes. think that's become just so much bigger than people could have even anticipated. Oh, totally, totally. Savannah, Gotti, Lawrence, they're all killing it. And I love, I just love the tone that they that they've developed for that show. It's so youthful and yet informative at the same time. And it's relatable. So trust me, there's a lot from, from the success of that show that we're looking to, and and we're trying to figure out how can we implement some of the success that they've had in, in our area with the streaming network that we're creating, but yeah, they're killing it. And I love all those guys. They're awesome. So you mentioned visiting here as a teen, you posted a great Instagram photo of you and your dad and just everything full circle. Like you mentioned, like the moves you were making, you did an esports documentary, you covered, you know, gaming Mm -hmm. back early in your career. It just seems like everything's kind of tied in. Where do you want to go next in terms of stories you want to cover um, as part of NBC News and and MSNBC and, like, this whole family here? Yeah, so... For me, it still comes back to identity. I think that's one of the the umbrellas that I really am looking forward to exploring more. And that could be political identity. I'm, I'm really interested in how we became so partisan as a nation and really interested in the idea of civility. And after the passing of John McCain, I mean, that word takes on so much more resonance now. And so that's definitely an area that I want to explore. And then there are some some areas of, of my past and some other projects that I've worked on that will find, you know, will become part of the the programming here too, like culture. And we're, we're trying to find ways in which culture overlaps with politics and what does that look like right now? So there, I think, again, for me, it centers around those gray areas. I really like picking away at those, those gray areas and, and peeling back the layers. So what was your first day like here? Mm, first day. Well, your first day at 30 Rock, you do a huge orientation and it takes up pretty much your whole day. And then the rest of the week is a lot of meetings, just getting familiarized with all the amazing people that work here and being so humbled by how smart everyone is. I totally feel like I'm never the smartest person in the room, which is a great thing because that means that you're in such good hands here. But it was overwhelming. It was, yeah, I mean, like just kind of walking around in awe of everything and trying to take it all in. It's, mm. it definitely is overwhelming. Another question is yeah. your first story that mm, you first did story, here. First story. Like, yeah. 
So the funny thing is I have worked on stories here. We've done some we've done some test programming over the summer. Like we did a show about esports, like you mentioned. We did a show about space and the lunar eclipse. We are in the process of rolling out this streaming network and it's gonna roll out in a couple of stages this fall. So I I can't quite say like exactly, you know, what it was like, but I can tell you that I can't get specific about the kind of stories we're doing, but it's a it's an amazing feeling to get an opportunity that allows me to contribute as a producer, as a writer, as, and as a talent at the end of the day, but for me, I definitely see myself as a producer first, talent second. I think it's so much, it's so important to have ownership over the content that you're, that you're hosting. So everything that I've gotten to work on here has been such a collaborative process, which has been really cool. I've been able to say, Hey, what if we try this? Or could we interview this person? Or what about doing this? So it's been really cool. And I work with amazing producers that just make me feel so confident when I'm you know, actually hosting and in front of the camera. It's been so great thus far. And I know it sounds like I'm just like lying because I'm, you know, sitting here in 30 Rock. I'm honestly, I love coming to work every day. And I haven't been able to say that about every single job. So I really am as happy as I sound. It's It sounds corny, but it's true. I feel like that's too when you know you have that passion, like you were mentioning where it's like, what else yeah. am I going to do? It's yeah. like you still have the passion for it and then you oh, find yeah. the perfect fit. Yes. Then it's just like everything aligns. Yes. You can finally be happy. Yes. <laughs> I know. And that's the thing. When you're climbing in this career, it's not, you almost feel this pressure because a lot of people look at what we do and they're like, oh man, that's so cool. You get to be on TV and you get to, you know, get your makeup done and stuff. But it's, it's hard. It can be really hard and it's okay to feel like that. You know, I talk to a lot of my friends who are in the industry and we, we all agree on that. Like sometimes it's just, it's really hard and we've had jobs that are harder than others. But like you just said, when you get to a place where it is the right fit and everything aligns it's that much more rewarding because you know, you've been, you've been working for this. Like, yeah, I, lots of sleepless nights and working around the clock and yeah. And not to say that that's not ahead here. That totally is, especially during election season, but it's, it's all worth it. It really is. So some of the faces and names you admired growing up, have you gone to meet them since you've been here? And what was that, that experience like for you? Yes. So Katie Couric, obviously no longer here. I hope that I get to meet her one day, but Hoda was one of the first people that I met when I came to 30 Rock. I think it was literally like day two and I'm sitting in the makeup room and she just comes and sits down and Hoda is so lovely. Her energy is the exact same on camera as it is off camera. And she's just so gracious and like, was like, Oh, welcome. You know, like, tell me about you. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, this is Hoda actually taking an interest in me. What's happening. But she's been amazing. Um, trying to think who else I, you know, I haven't gotten to meet. There's so many more people that I have to meet, 
but everyone I have met has just been really, really lovely. Mm-hmm. Really awesome. Picture with Savannah too. Yes. Yeah. No, Savannah's amazing. We, we, I hope that we'll get to work together more. I've gotten to work with Lawrence some and he's great. He's fantastic. I still haven't met Gotti yet because he's based in LA. I'm going to be based in LA eventually. We've been kind of switching, switching places, but they're all great. So advice that you would give to somebody in this industry, because I liked this conversation we had because Mm -hmm. you didn't take the traditional path that I think people are now feeling okay with like, you don't have to do that. Even like journalism professors and instructors aren't like telling kids you have to do that. Um, And I think that's really good. And Mm -hmm. I think that we need to continue that because everybody has a different path. So what advice would you give to maybe young women or even young journalists of color that are, you know, they want to do what you're doing and they see someone like you that represents what they could be doing. What, what's the most important piece of advice you give them? Yeah, I think it starts with seeking meaning over everything else, because at the end of the day, that's, what's going to sustain you through the long days, the long nights, through those periods where you're not making a solid paycheck. If this career brings you meaning and fulfillment, you'll make it, you'll last, you will be okay. And you'll be more than okay. You'll be happy. And that's something that I had to, you know, I had to sacrifice to, in order to find that meaning, lost, lost out on some good money for a little while, but I gained it right back. So I think focusing on money is not the best approach because that can be distracting, but focusing on meaning will not only enrich your life, but it'll, it'll enrich the lives of others. And then it's kind of twofold advice, but especially for women of color, don't compromise your individuality. I hope that my experience with my hair, I hope, you know, people might want to just brush that off and, and it is small at the end of the day. I was blessed to have an opportunity in the number two market and I don't take that for granted at all. It's, it's something that, you know, I wouldn't be here without that opportunity, but just push back. If, if people are telling you to change who you are, to fit who they think you should be, your individuality is your leverage. And I've seen that time and time again, I'm talking financial leverage. I'm talking when you are in these meetings, what is going to set you apart from all the other people that come in through these doors? Because there's always going to be someone prettier than you, smarter than you, better at something than you. But the one thing you have over them is you, is your authenticity. It's your individuality. So don't lose that. Cause once you lose that, you lose so much. It's just a piggyback off of that. You mentioning like the pushback and turning down certain opportunities. How hard was it for you to start just listening to yourself? Because there's so many people that have input in this career, like an agent. And I know mm-hmm. you mentioned like you switched agents yeah. or like pe- news directors saying, if you turn something down, you're making a mistake. Right, right. Just listening to your gut can be so hard. Totally. In this and, industry. Oh, gosh, I don't know. That's hard because it can go so many different ways, right? Like, and look, we're not always going to make the right call. We're just, we're human. Sometimes we might, we might make the wrong decision there, but that's okay. Because I think that 
every detour leads you where leads you to where you're supposed to go. You talked about how you did so many things on the side. I think a yeah. lot of times people are like, I want to do this job. And then when somebody asks, OK, can you show me what you have? And you're just like, I don't have it, but I know I could do it. And, yeah. you know, it's like you have to go out there and create. Yes. You know, and I feel like a lot of times people don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a huge thing. And I think that can kind of be your insurance when you are turning down opportunities. Like if you're hustling on the side and, and you're constantly shooting and creating so that you have something to show and you can prove to people, this is, you you may not be able to see what I can do now, but take a look at this. Like a lot of times people aren't able to imagine what you could look like or what you could do for them. I'm not talking about physical, but they aren't able to see it until you present it to them. So having that tangible evidence in the form of real and the form of clips, stories that you've done, that can sort of act as insurance. And so if you have, if you end up turning down one thing, you just, you never know what's around the corner, you know? And I do think that like trust your gut. I know it sounds cliche, but, but trust your gut. And we can also be quick to judge an opportunity because maybe it's not, it doesn't seem like it's the, that it'll bring the notoriety that we want or the exposure that we want, or it doesn't have the exact qualifications that we wanted in a job. But I will say that you can make a job worthwhile by what you put into it. If you if you get into that job and you get creative and you're like, hey, I know that this is my job description, but what if I did this? Like, would that be okay if I just try this out? You tell me what you think. That's another way that you can get the most out of that current position. So I'm, I'm gonna just, just going to be totally honest. There's no easy way to navigate those career decisions. Hope that you have great people around you who can help weigh in. Mentors, agents, yes, and friends and family members as well. But you will find your way no matter what. Mm-hmm. And the last question is sort of a fun one. Mm-hmm. So you've lived in LA and New York, mm-hmm. the major markets. Mm-hmm. For people that have never been to either, mm-hmm. what are, I guess, top three things they need to do in each city if they uh, visit? I'm putting you on the spot. You're totally putting me on the spot. <laughs> I was like, is there anything that I should really like be prepared for? And now I'm totally caught off guard. Okay, okay, let me think. So I'm a big nature freak, so... In New York, I think one of the things that often gets overlooked is upstate New York. I love heading up on the train on the Metro North to the Hudson Valley and Cold Spring. Cold Spring is a really small, adorable town that's on the Hudson River, and I love going there, going paddle boarding, kayaking, that sort of thing. And there's also just a bunch of really cool antique stores. And in the fall, it's beautiful. It's super charming. So that's something that's kind of off the beaten path that I love doing. Also, Rockaway Beach is really fun. A lot of people forget that New York has beaches. Of course, there's the Hamptons. But if you're not cool enough to get out there like me, there's always the Rockaways. And then I think just in New York, just walking around without an agenda, without a schedule, just wandering the streets, finding some dimly lit bar in the West Village and and calling that home for a couple of hours. That to me is how you get the most out of New York. And then LA. Okay. 
LA is my home home. So this one should be easier. I hope I don't disappoint people. The beach, number one. I mean, that's, I'm going to the beach in a couple weeks, so definitely the beach. Oh my gosh, I'm totally on the spot. I love Griffith Park. I love the hiking in LA. See, everything comes back to you. <laughs> I'm just saying the exact same things that I said about New York. There's a place, like a restaurant. A restaurant. Yeah, the best fish tacos in Ensenada. That's literally a, the name of the restaurant. And it's the tacos are $2. So that place is really good. I'm going to check that out next time in LA. Yeah. Can't go wrong there. There's so much, there's so many great things. There's wine country a couple of hours from LA. That's a really fun day trip. There's amazing rooftops and places downtown. There's, there's so many great things to do. Okay. Simone, the tour guide. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I did cover this did. kind of thing for a That's while. I should know. New York, like upstate. Yeah. yeah sounds fun. It's really pretty. And it's just, you feel like you're getting out of the city. You got, you got your Zen vibes going on. It's restorative. Well, this whole conversation has been restorative. So oh, what I did good. there. Yeah, right. I tied it all in. Thank you so much. I know you are busy. We're in 30 Rock. This is amazing. Thank you for this conversation, the <laughs> yeah. advice. Yeah. And I think people are really going to enjoy this chat. I hope so. Thank you so much for reaching out. That was NBC News' Simone Boyce. If you guys enjoyed this conversation, please make sure to rate and subscribe to the Who Would Have Thoughts podcast on iTunes and on SoundCloud. As well, make sure to check out the website whowouldhavethoughts.com to check out even more great content like this. As always, thanks so much for listening, and I'll catch you guys back here next time.